Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio. Heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Hi, Joshua here, producer for Living Wealthy Radio. Today's talk is a somewhat brief but rather meaty philosophical discussion about what the libertarian model of government would look like and mean for our society. I don't think most people realize just how fundamental violence and coercion are in the current paradigm. I guess because it's institutionalized and given a veneer of order and decency, it's easy to forget that basically government is force, violence. We either comply or we get hurt. That's what it comes down to. Our guest today has been running for not president for the long term. He paints a great picture of a localized voluntary society, one in which our interactions with others are based on mutual agreement, respect, and love. It almost seems utopian and maybe even naive, right? Except it's so well thought out and very evidence-based. I found it interesting that this conversation ultimately came down to not whether localization and voluntarism were the ethically right way of doing things, but whether or not enough people would go along with it. The libertarian prescription really can't even be argued against. It's just simply a matter of whether or not people want it bad enough. Put your thinking caps on for this one, because we're about to jump way out of the box. Today's enriching fact of the day is you can find more time for the things that matter by thinking in terms of priorities. Everyone is busy these days. We have work and families and hobbies and community. When we think of all the things we want to do, it can be frustrating and overwhelming, because it seems there just aren't enough hours in the day. Well, there are. There is enough time for the things that matter. But we have to stop thinking in terms of how much time we have and instead view the problem as a matter of priorities. Think of it this way. You come home after an incredibly busy Monday at the office. Your week is totally booked. On the way home, you already told a friend you don't have any time for that lunch this week. But when you walk into the house, you find... Your water heater has burst, and there's water in every room. It'll take hours to clean up the mess, book contractors and cleaners, and buy a new water heater. But somehow, by the end of the week, almost as if by magic, you found all those extra hours. How does that happen? Well, time management expert Laura Vanderkam argues that time is much more elastic than we realize, and that when we say we don't have enough time, What we really mean is it's not a priority. We find time for those things we truly believe deserve to be in our lives. Everything you spend time on is a choice. You choose whether or not to have time for things. So when you say you don't have time for that lunch with a friend, 
What you really mean is you've chosen other things to go higher on the priority list. Sure, there may be huge consequences to choosing some things over others. I mean, some priorities are obvious choices, but the point is you still choose what you spend your time on. And that's where you have the power. You can set your priorities. Rather than trying to find time for things, you can focus instead on sorting and cataloging items based on a priority level, assigning a value essentially to each item. And then the time will find itself, just like with your busted water heater. Here's a great way to start. On an evening late in the week, take some time to think over the coming week and take up Laura Vanderkam's suggestions to make three lists, career, relationships, and self. These should be short lists of two to three items each, but of course, there should be something in all three because career, relationships, and self are all three very important items that you should be spending time on. So, what two to three things do you want to accomplish next week in each of those three areas? Look at your week. Where can you fit them in? If these are truly priorities, then make time for them. Build your week around them. Things that don't fit, well, don't say you don't have time for them. Be honest with yourself and acknowledge that they just aren't as important. Today's enriching fact reminds us that we all have the same amount of time. What we spend our time on is our choice, and proactively choosing those things that matter most will help us find the time for them automatically, but by design. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. There are so many business leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are unaligned and therefore spinning their wheels. The result is a loss of productivity and burnout. Virtually all companies, big and small, are underachieving their maximum potential. And why? Well, because they lack the tools, the information, the accountability to achieve meaningful objectives. That's why here at Living Wealthy Radio, we love Business Finishing School, or BFS. They provide you with the tools, strategies, and information you need to run your business more effectively and efficiently. This simplifies your processes and maximizes your potential. The first year alone teaches you the 12 foundation principles of business to immediately streamline your business and begin seeing results. Plus, there are three more years of powerful material on top of that to finish out a complete business education. Let your business brain finish what your entrepreneurial heart started. The power is in the simplicity. For more information on BFS, visit businessfinishingschool.com. Joining us today is Adam Kokesh, Libertarian candidate for president. He's a longtime activist, author, and freedom advocate who's calling for a peaceful, orderly dissolution of the entire federal government. Not your average campaign platform, right? Adam's going to share with us his radical freedom message and give us the libertarian perspective on what's going on in the world and why freedom is always the right answer. Let's jump right into the conversation with Teresa and Adam. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Adam. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Teresa. My pleasure, my pleasure. So you're running for, quote unquote, not president and calling for dismantling the entire federal government. So why do we need a not president? Why do you think it's time to get rid of the federal government? 
Yes, I am promising to be the last president of the United States that you will never need. And the platform is the peaceful, orderly, responsible dissolution of the entire United States federal government in a bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign nations as the first step in the process of localization. And that's getting government down to the local level, to the community level, because the community is a voluntary organization, something that you choose to be a part of, not something that you're forced into. This is government by consent only. Consent is critical if you're going to have an ethical relationship or a free world. And freedom is what you have when no one is forcing their will on you. So a world of universal nonviolence and, and peace is the only way that we can all be free. What we have is a centralized, authoritative, violent system that relies on coercion rather than persuasion to get its point across. And we know good ideas don't require force. Localization also for me as a libertarian, I see the ideal of the free society of universal nonviolence. And I understand that other people don't see it that way. Some people want to be a part of a community where violence is normal, that you have a coercive authority and that that's accepted. That's fine. I, I don't like that. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. But as long as you're not forcing that system on anybody else, I support your right to create systems in your communities based on your needs, set up around your values. That's freedom, not some centrally controlled vision of freedom or plan for freedom or authority to protect your freedom. These are all nonsense ways that we are misled from this basic ethical message of libertarianism, which is you own yourself. Therefore, it's wrong to use violence or coercion or fraud against another person to deprive them of their freedom, their life, their health, or their property. And this is a message of ethics that we apply to politics. It's not a political message. It's one that transcends the entire current paradigm and gets us to a world of greater peace and harmony. That's the goal of libertarianism. But in localization, what we are doing is creating a practical policy based on our principles that immediately improves everyone's lives. Because when we get rid of the federal government, now state governments are independent. And of course, native nations have the ability in this process to reclaim their sovereignty in any undeveloped land that was stolen from them through treaties or other abuses of the United States federal government. We get to take back that which has been stolen from us, our birthright, our potential, all of the 50% of the land of Western states that is so-called owned by the federal government. We get to claim that back directly as the American people. And what I see in this that's so beautiful is how it is uniting people around what we should be united on. The idea that we argue issue by issue is insane. How they keep us divided over things that should be simple matters of preference. I want to live in a community where drugs are legal. 
where you have the right to put what you want in your own body, and that's respected by everybody else in the community. If somebody else wants to live in a drug-free zone where everybody who lives there volunteers to give up that fundamental right and say, while we live here, we are going to respect the communal desires and, and not exercise that right to do uh, any, any drugs or you know even uh, the really dangerous drugs. We'll leave even out alcohol and nicotine, and we're going to live in a drug-free zone. Well, guess what? You have the right to live in a community like that. You just don't have the right to force it on anybody else. And so with localization, instead of fighting issue by issue, we unite Americans to take issue with the fact that people are trying to force their will on us from some far off capital who aren't part of our communities, who don't care about us. This is why we say that localization is the cure for polarization and the everyone gets what they want strategy. So the more I hear about localization, the more I think it, it really does make sense. And it is possible. Has this ever been done before anywhere in the world that you know of? Well, you know, Teresa, I would not be doing what I'm doing with this campaign uh, or with my freedom activism or really anything else in life if I thought that I was fighting some trend, like fighting the rising tide. Uh, or, or fighting against some force of nature. What I see this as is part of the inevitable progress of humanity towards a voluntary society. Now, I got to unpack some of those terms for the uninitiated in your audience, I know. And a uh, the, the first premise of this, though, is is the work of Professor Steven Pinker at Harvard, who has said that we are living in the most peaceful times in human history and has proven academically, irrefutably, that it follows a kind of radioactive decay curve over time. Violence decreases. Humanity gets more loving, more connected, more harmonious, more capitalist in terms of respect for free exchange based on self-ownership. All of these things are, are just beautiful elements of human progress. Now, when I say it's inevitable, of course, I have to put a caveat on that term to say, yes, we could all blow each other up with nuclear weapons first. Yes, a meteor could strike Earth out of the sun's orbit and send us into some cold spiral into outer space. You know, who knows? But if things are able to, you know, a, a pandemic, and I don't mean coronavirus, I mean like a real pandemic, um, that uh, significantly increases the overall human death rate. You know, something that, that actually wipes out the species. Yes, of course. Barring those apocalyptic events, we are going to continue this progress towards a voluntary society. So in order for me to justify that, to really answer your question, has this been tried before? I would have to at least be able to point to prior examples having positive effects or even current examples or trend lines backing this up. And actually, they exist in abundance. Despite what we are led to believe when we look at modern nation states as growing consolidations of wealth and power, as we see the United Nations, the European Union, the European Union is actually failing. And I think we are right now, in, in terms of human history, somewhere near the high watermark of big government. And, and I mean, both by size and violence. 
um, and, and in, in relevance and in, in geographic territory, all those things. So decentralization is something that we have seen in the way that I'm describing historically, but not nearly as well as we would want and we are capable of today. Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And there's kind of a spiral to it, right? So we saw the collapse of the Roman Empire and a disintegration into smaller nation states that generally led to more local control and spared us from the warfare state that was the Roman Empire. So obviously in terms of less people dying for bullshit, the breakup of the Roman Empire was a great thing. A lot of people have compared the American empire as we know it today to the Roman Empire, that we have followed a similar arc and we are on the decline and coming to a collapse. I think we can learn from history and do better. We have to do better. We are capable of better. And inevitably, whatever process we see transitioning away from the federal government of the United States will be better, more peaceful, and, and more humane than any such transition in human history, such as the collapse of the Soviet empire into the satellite states. And so it generally means that there is going to be less war, less violence, less corruption of a central authority. I think we can learn from history and do this in a more peaceful manner, not just because I have a way and I have a plan, but I also see this as part of the trend. And if you look at decentralization as a modern phenomena or secession, in the UK, we had the Brexit. We had the Scottish independence vote. We have the Catalonia independence movement movement in Spain, where, yes, the central government sent troops and police to stop people from voting in what they called an illegal referendum. But there were no widespread murders in, in, in terms of the mass murder that is war or suppression of a, a dissident population that wants to be independent, as happened with the United States. This country got here by declaring independence from the British Empire. And now we look at the federal government of the United States, we go, this thing's not going to last forever. It's not sustainable in its current form. How could we end this thing peacefully? Well, if we let it collapse, that's like having our heads or keeping our heads buried in the sand and hoping that government spares us in its violent death throes as it desperately clings to power. That's a silly fantasy. No, it's going to be ugly. But if we apply a solution as big as the problem, and I believe we can, we are going to have a peaceful transition, even if we don't manage to do it at the federal level, because people will be able to secede at the state level already in the United States. We have historic support for secession, having polled in 2014, before Trump, before the coronavirus. 25% plus support for secession nationwide. When people are asked, would you prefer your state to be independent from the federal government? That was the number. And so we have vibrant independence movements in New Hampshire, Vermont, the Republic of Texas, California now with Cal Exit is probably the strongest in the country in terms of independence movements. 
of course, Hawaii and Alaska. I mean, Hawaii conquered native territory has always, the kingdom, the native kingdom that, that, that was in the Hawaiian islands before the federal government showed up and its corporate uh, oligarchs was, was an independent, very happy community that was illegally, unlawfully, unethically, in so many evil ways taken over to, to be able to give them that sovereignty back would be huge. This is the, this is the future. What we have as geographic territories for governments, we don't have to do it the way it's always been done just because it's always been done this way. We are the millennial generation coming into power. And if we want to redraw all the lines on the map, we will. So, Adam, do you think the central authority, as you call it, would really give up their power? Mm. Great question. And this is obviously uh, a, a leading question as to what do we do when we meet resistance with this? Now, I don't think the fundamental nature of government has changed in the modern era in the sense that governments, in order to be governments, rely on an enforcement class. That is, cops and soldiers willing to do violence against peaceful people, willing to point guns at innocent people, willing to lock people up for victimless crimes, willing to kill on the orders of politicians. And the limits of tyranny that we will experience are based on the tolerance of the oppressed. Or in other words, every government, no matter how oppressive as a whole, requires a critical mass of public buy-in in order to do what it does. Now, yes, war is an exception in the dehumanization where the trigger pullers are disconnected from the people they are pointing their guns at. But in the rest of our lives, the cops and soldiers are still part of the rest of the community. They still have to go and interact with the rest of us. And if the consent is fully withdrawn, the government will not be able to pay anybody any amount of money that would that would get them to do something where they would become social pariahs and, and their own lives would be at risk by being obedient to a government. This is the, the situation when you have a, a foreign invading force, right? You have, uh, you have a, a resistance and that resistance is not going to be a part of the same system in a different country. But when you are seeing the people coming in and enforcing the will of politicians on you as an invading force, <laughs> you're going to shoot them. Now, in, the, in, in this process that I'm suggesting, what I am offering is the easy way, the peaceful way, uh, a transition in an orderly electoral manner based on building a national consensus at the federal level through a presidential election. And I really appreciate how you introduced me, of course, instead of saying, he's running for president, explain yourself, because you really do have to be some kind of psychopath to want to have this power over other human beings. And what, what I'm able to do with this is say, we are turning the federal election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. So if 
the people of America say that this is how it's going to be, this is how it's going to be. When we collectively put our foot down and say, we are not putting up with this crap anymore, then no jerk in a suit in Washington, D.C. is going to stand in our way. And if they try, there might be some conflict. I don't think it's going to be as bad as the Revolutionary War. They're not going to send troops to put down rebellions state by state of people declaring their independence. No, not in this day and age, not in the era of of the Internet where we have accountability, where we can share news like never before, where we have transparency for for, for government in a way like never before. And, And not that government suddenly voluntarily became more transparent, but that it's unavoidable. When we have this technology and this connectedness and this expectation, yeah, of course, they can't get away with what they have done in the past and maintain their support from the enforcement class. When we make it clear that this is what the people want, the will of the people will be done. Well, you sound so optimistic. I look at the... No, I know. No, I know you are a very authentic person. I I followed you for years and you are very true inside and out. Like what you what you represent, what you stand for is absolutely and completely congruent with who you are as an individual. No doubt in my mind. But, you know, I was at the store yesterday and walking around with people wearing masks and I'm not wearing a mask. And I'm thinking this is like a dystopian movie about like the future. And here are all these people Mm -hmm. wearing masks that they're breathing in their own oxygen, which is so unhealthy, like, you know, basic third grade biology, I guess. Right. Or, (laughs) or personal hygiene, like in what world does that make sense? But there are so many people walking around just saying government, protect me, come take care of me. I'm scared. And in exchange, I'm giving you authority over my life. So what you're saying sounds great for a portion of the population, but do you really think there's enough people who want to take control and be responsible for their life and not have a central authority telling them what they should do? Well, you know, I, I have to I have to admit that I fell for the coronaphobia a little bit myself in, in the sense that uh, I actually thought I had it for for a, for a couple of days um, as a, a, a mild, nearly asymptomatic form, as they say. And uh, I think it's, it's really important in, in, in light of what you just said, that, that we have a compassionate view towards those people who we might be tempted to have disdain for, for not being uh, as aware as we are. And, and it's not because awareness in and of itself is a virtue, but because the source of our awareness is our, our compassion. You know, are, are they less compassionate people? No, I, 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 yes, yes. In that one dimension, perhaps, but overall, certainly you could not evaluate them based on this. So. I want to be as forgiving and understanding as possible for people that don't have the luxury that you and I do of having our head in the news and current events 
and paying attention to what's going on and seeing all of this where the uh the problems are on a much faster timeline when you have the ability to question when you're paying attention when the average american gets all this you know insanity out of the headlines it's um it it takes them some time to process it and it takes people like you and i and and one of the things i've said is a, a positive coming out of this is that it has forced us as skeptics to engage in a new kind of conversation with non-skeptics. And I want to encourage everybody who I assume listening to your show is compassionate and is listening because they care about these things. Keep talking to your friends and neighbors. Keep engaging with them. Don't argue. Don't yell. Don't belittle. Don't berate. Be compassionate. Use nonviolent communication. Don't assume another person's experience or, or internal state, but out of love and compassion, seek to share your perspective that you value, that you wish they shared. So agreed. I, I do, in conversation, do probably have more um, of a less tolerant, less sensitive way of expressing my frustration uh, and, but at the end of the day, I am compassionate towards humanity and I am compassionate towards these people who I know they believe sincerely that they're doing the right thing. And they, at the end of the day, just want to feel safe and they want safety for their family and look at those that don't believe or those that aren't wearing masks, for example, at a grocery store as being very insensitive and selfish because how dare you not protect me and my family by not wearing a mask, right? Yeah. So I, I know what they're thinking and I understand that. It's just um, continuing your vision of the future and getting rid of a central authority and having localized government, I can see where out of 100 people, what percentage would agree with your line of thinking and what percentage would think, are you kidding me? That's insane. What would we do? And so that's where I'm coming from, Adam, is maybe 20% if they were to listen to you and understand your logic would say, absolutely sign me up. Um, I, I made up 20%. It might be 30. It might be 60. I don't know. I know conversations that I've had with friends, you know, we're like, okay, what if there was a state, right. Uh, that we could all go to and the state would decide, okay, right now, this is the kind of government we're going to have in this state. And those that don't want that kind of government go create your own government in another state, but just leave us alone in our little state, right? So I know right. there are people that think like us, but is it enough? Well, first of all, one of the most beautiful things about what we're doing in waking people up in inspiring and, and motivating people to a, a greater level of awareness is that they are learning and realizing things in such a way that when you wake up to them, you don't go back to sleep. You cannot unlearn what you have learned. 
And that this is, you know, it, it, it's, I think it was Mark Twain who said, uh, it is much easier to fool someone than to convince them that they have been fooled. Yes. And there, there are a lot of ways that, 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 that we could get into that. You know, my, my background or at least my undergraduate degree and, and a lot of my volunteer work over the years has been in psychology. And there are a lot of reasons for this, but it, it's just one of those fundamental things that we have to accept that when we are, what we are doing is unfooling people and they have been fooled by propaganda over their entire lives to believe in government, to support authority without question. And what we are doing is teaching them and showing them and exposing them to this reality that has been kept from them. And it is a growing portion of society. It is, it is, it is something that is a, a approaching uh, positive critical mass, I would say, that, that because of that fundamental nature of you, you don't, you cannot unlearn what you have learned. Society is progressing. It's a slow process. And they fool they they as much as we wake people up it seems like they have ways of refooling people and and indoctrinating young people and and reaching the youth is is very important in all of this and for our movement so we got to have that patience we got to have that longer vision and for me you know i i can make predictions and i've i've got to say i told you so a whole lot lately around coronaphobia but in in the long term or sort of or the midterm stuff you know, I, I have to have a lot of humility in my projections and predictions to say, you know, this is based on human action. It could go a lot of different ways. But in the long run, I have absolute confidence in what I am doing and the world that I'm I'm building and the message that I am spreading. And I know that this is a long term game. And it, it took me, you know, it took me a solid 10 years. To, to wake up, you know, for, for lack of a better term. And um, I think we have to extend that same patience to individuals around us and to the general public. Can, or is there in existence today, a community, let's say in the United States or elsewhere that you know has, is functioning the way you envision our country to function? Well, so it, it, it's kind of a, a, a false question, and, and it, it's kind of giving into the status paradigm. If, if I may explain, it's like if you if if you go to the doctor and you have a giant tumor, and he says, "Well, you know what? We we really need to remove this tumor. If we don't cut it out and and you know give you uh, you know CBD therapy to make sure it doesn't come back, it's it's going to keep growing. Eventually, it's going to take over and it's going to kill you." Do you tell that doctor, well, gee, doctor, that sounds good, but what's the alternative? I, you know, what are we going to replace this cancer with? Really? What? How, I, I mean, if, if you take away my cancer, what are we going to put in its place? And you go, wait, what are you talking about? You don't need to put anything in its place. When you take away the cancer, you are left with a healthy body. When you remove the cancer of statism from the human family, we end up with a more peaceful, productive, harmonious, and happy society. So when you say, where has this been tried? Where have we had a society 
of universal nonviolence. It's like, well, where where do we have a, a body? You know, we in a sense we haven't. We have always experienced some form of authority and control. What we can point to is that all of the good things that we get out of life do not come from violent interactions with other human beings. They come from peaceful, cooperative, collaborative interactions with other human beings. So the proof of healthy cells being better than cancerous cells is all around us. The, uh, the evidence is overwhelming. So you're running for president as a libertarian. Elections coming up in November. So what's the long game for you? What happens if this is not the year of the third party and you don't win? I've said that I will stand behind this line in the sand on the side of righteousness. And I will run on this platform until the federal government ceases to exist one way or another, as long as the support continues to build. And it's been an amazing experience so far. And a lot of people who don't have this long-term perspective might see what we're doing this year as, you know, a shot in the dark. But when you understand the long-term picture and you understand my commitment to this cause, this is just the first step in a long journey. And you're gaining momentum? Absolutely. Every day. Can you give an example of the momentum that's building to encourage other people? Well, I think the biggest evidence of this in the way that people have engaged in our campaign, and it's been a little tricky because we have to win the Libertarian Party nomination first, of course, but that uh, our coalition groups, and it gives me all the more confidence in calling this the everyone gets what they want strategy, because we have, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm going to leave someone out for sure here, but um Military for Kokesh, first responders for Kokesh, gun owners for Kokesh, GSM for Kokesh, Christians for Kokesh, stoners for Kokesh, exotic entertainers for Kokesh. Um, yeah, and, and and probably oh, victims of family law is is I think the most exciting one, you know, and it's it's a black swan waiting to happen really when when we realize how how many of us are victims of of the family law courts. Uh, but yeah, all of these ways that people are engaging with our campaign, these are all. Uh, you know, growing, vibrant groups where people see the uh, the opportunity to to reach people on issues that matter to them, and, and localization really does address so many of those. Uh, unfortunately, you know, like I said, with the primary thing right now, we've had to direct a lot of this attention towards the primary and towards delegates within the Libertarian Party, and so now uh, those people are making phone calls to delegates rather than than talking to the general population, but. This is just, you know, again, one step in the process. So how can our listeners follow you online? The main website for me is thefreedomline.com. And from there, you can find kokeshforpresident.com without having to remember how to spell my funny last name. And you can find my YouTube channel with over 80 million views. You can find my book for free, Freedom, at uh, thefreedomline.com slash freedom and every digital format possible, including audiobook, all free there. You can get it in print in Amazon. We've got over a quarter million copies in circulation right now. We've got over 4 million downloads. It's been a very popular book. I get great feedback on it all the time. And you can find me on all my other social media destinations through my main website, the 
freedomline.com. If nothing else, certainly, Adam, you bring a very compelling vision of how our country can look in the future. You're very congruent with your thinking and your actions. I'm so glad you're playing the long game. That's that's the only game I think you can play with what you want to create um, for the future. You're like a modern day patriot, right? And uh, I, for one, am so glad that you're out there and uh, just support support your efforts. So my, my best to you. And uh, we will bring you back sometime later on this year just to catch up and see what new adventures and new progress you've been making. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Teresa. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.